We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And at the beginning of this offseason, we got a trade request from Kevin Durant. And so we're going to talk about the implications of that and just kind of like the next dominoes to fall around the league. There is a bit of a standoff, I think, between not, not even that, just that a couple of things or maybe even one thing needs to happen that will kind of kick off a series of events, I believe. Um, and I don't think that's the KD move, but I do want to get into that. Back in 2007, there was a, a famous video, one of the first like viral Lakers. I don't even know. want to say it's Lakers Twitter because I, I mean, I know Twitter was around, but there's the famous Kobe ship his ass out video, right? Talking about Andrew Bynum uh, possibly being on the trade block for Jason Kidd. And that was the offseason where Kobe demanded a trade. He had three or four years left on his deal. It's funny thinking of that offseason now, D, because like there's so many little like, remember, no dang, no deal. And then dang becomes a Lakers character <laughs> later on. <laughs> there were talks with Chicago. Basically, it's the closest thing I can think of to Durant being on the market right now. Right. You got this like unquestioned superstar under contract for four years saying, I don't want to play her anymore. And I'm skeptical that he gets moved this offseason, but I do think that it's one of those events that can hold up the league. I don't think that is what is holding up the league right now, but curious your thoughts on that, D. We got a little bit of experience with uh, with this sort of situation. We do. We do. Just <laughs> a quick reminiscing about that all of that Kobe stuff is that do you remember the factions and like the sides taking and how I remember Lakers fans just being so frustrated at that point with like the state of the team. Right. So like Shaq had been traded several years before and right after the 2004 season. Right. Yeah. And then the heat had ultimately won a title with Shaq and Dwayne Wade. And so this idea of the Lakers potentially surrendering their own title hopes and then Shaq getting another one 
And then remember like all those times they'd always match up the Lakers against the Heat on like Christmas Day. On Christmas. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then every single time the Lakers played the Heat, it was this national TV event. It's on ESPN or it's on TNT. The Lakers are getting their asses kicked. And then remember the Bynum, the, the oh, dunk, oh, the back and forth. Right? Oh, man. <laughs> so I just remember. Right. And then there are those heartbreaking losses to Phoenix in the playoffs and then the year that they don't make the playoffs mm-hmm. at all. And correctly, if I'm wrong, there were a bunch of fans who were basically just on Kobe's side. They were just like, this dude does deserve better. We're tired of the team stinking. And like, if not, they weren't on board with like Kobe leaving. But there was this sense of like, I get it as a fan. Do you remember it that way, too, or am I wrong? No, I remember that faction. I also remember during the Shaq and Kobe years, it's funny how this gets kind of like brushed over as time goes by, that those two were increasingly kind of like, you know, at odds with each other. And there was a significant portion that was Team Shaq. There was a Shaq, right? There was, there was. And not only was it there, like, look, it's looking back at it and Kobe as such a legend as he is now and and regarded as he is. But Kobe came into the team as a 17-year-old on a team that when we signed Shaq, it was like, oh, we're a contender, right? We were a first, second round caliber team that signed like the most dominant player in the NBA. Yeah, and not a contender because of Kobe, a contender because of Shaq. Like, like Kobe was right. Kobe was no one. Right. Kobe was like, like on the pecking order was like Max Christie right now, <laughs> yes. right? Like, oh, like awesome in summer league. This, this guy could be something later, right? I don't want to say that Max Christie has the same type of potential or we knew because we knew Kobe could be something. But what he mostly was in those early years between 96 and 2000 when we actually chipped was he would grade on people for his shot selection, fans and, and players and coaches alike for his – uh, his his attitude and approach, right? And so this idea that Kobe is so revered now was not always the case within kind of the those of us who talked about the Lakers. And you had this guy who was the best player in the game or close to it, who was kind of on the other end of that. And so it was very much like this idea that, oh, there was it wasn't a minor faction of Shaq fans back then, right? He was the better player by far. And he was the guy that I think there was a certain amount, D, where it was like, oh, Kobe chased him out of town. Yes. And so there was resentment. Kobe chases Shaq out of town, and all of a sudden we missed the playoffs, and then we're out in the first round the next two seasons. So I think there was also a faction, along with the one that you talked about, that was like, Team Shaq, I'm done with this dude. He chased my guy out. Get him out of here, too. Yeah. Right? No, no, no. Kobe got booed. Kobe got booed opening night that upcoming season. Can you believe that? So this is all (laughs) – I love reminiscing – about all of that stuff because the the arc of Kobe's career is something that is unique I think in NBA history right similar like in its own way just like LeBron's arc is like totally unique for a guy who gets like drafted to his hometown team and then leaves with a decision Mm -hmm. and then like goes to sort of like boarding school in Miami and gets all of his reps and then comes back as, as like the prodigal son and he returns and he gets his championship and now he's in Los Angeles. Right. And so this whole idea of like when you're a legend 
of that status and all the ups and downs. Like years after the fact, we sort of love to latch on to the glamorous parts mm-hmm. of the story. But Kobe's arc is one where there were so many ups and downs. And it's one of the reasons why I think he actually is revered the way that he is, is because of those trials and tribulations totally and everything that he went through in order to achieve the status that he did and come out on the other side with the type of career that he did all the way through the injuries and then the final game, which was this capstone on on a career that was truly one of a kind. But in bringing it back now, so we do have experience with seeing how an organization will try to navigate a situation where one of the handful of the best players in the entire league is just like, well, I want out. And managing that from the perspective of, okay, well, sure, we'll try to get a deal for you. What we want is a massive amount. Now, Kobe had even more leverage because he actually had a no trade clause. And so he was the one who was just like, no dang, no deal. That wasn't right. Right. If you trade me to Chicago, if you're not familiar with the story, the the biggest rumor was a, a deal to Chicago for like Ben Gordon, Kurt Heinrich, a couple picks and possibly the wall dang, who was a you know, mid 20s, late 20s, really good player at the time. And Kobe's assertion was like, well, if I'm getting traded to somewhere, and I think there's a lot of parallels to KD here and how it's hard to get a KD deal deal done is if you're trading for Kobe Bryant or if you're trading for Kevin Durant, you're doing so to win a championship. And so you can't give up too many currently good players or all of a sudden you have a same problem in just a different way and that you've got the superstar, but you just don't have the guys around him to support him. And so that was Kobe's position was like, no, you're not trading Dang in this deal. I need Dang if I want to go win a championship with the Bulls. Thankfully, it blew over, but that's where it came from. Yes. And so that idea of then if you're the Nets and you're just like, well, sorry, like, no, I want all this stuff. Give me all the stuff. Right. And this is why around the league, at least the reporting at the time, it seemed like the DeAndre Ayton contract was going to be the domino that started to trigger some things. But really, mm. That might have been another plug in the dam, right? Rather than something that was going to facilitate it. Because the fact that DeAndre Ayton signed an offer sheet that then ultimately got matched, it basically took him off of the table for any trade for an extended period of time, which then limits what the Suns could do, which is one of KD's preferred teams, right? That's exactly it, right? It then may have taken the Phoenix Suns off of the table for Kevin Durant, if that's the case, at least for the time being, right? Because like, there's no other package, because usually what those guys go for, or I think the closest thing of an actual trade that went down is that AD package where it's like, oh, you've got a guy or two in a, in a BI, especially in Lonzo to a, a lesser extent, uh, who has shown that like they they can be something in in the very near future and three picks and a couple pick swaps there's no guy like that especially if you take Aiton out of the equation maybe you could even argue even if he's in it that Phoenix could offer that is on the other end of that where it's like ah oh, we got our our building block young star going forward yeah and so that's where the thing is with KD right now and that idea of well okay can the Nets navigate this and come out of the other side and basically say, hey, well, we tried, which is exactly what Dr. Buss did with Kobe. He was like, hey, we've tried. There's nothing here for us. Let's come back to the table and let's start the season and like, let's see how things go. 
And luckily for the Lakers, there was all of this shared history there between the two, right? They had won these championships. And Dr. Buss famously, in the same way that he did with Magic Johnson, right? He built relationships with the best players on the team so that he could have these sort of candid conversations and talk through things and come out on the other side, okay, and ready to step forward. Whether or not KD has that relationship with anyone in Brooklyn, I think remains to be seen, but the parallels are there for the idea of like, hey man, like there's no deal for us to make, right? And so we'll see what happens with KD, but let's go to break here because I think you're right, Pete, that the KD deal may not be the deal that opens things up around the league. It may be a different trade. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? Ew, seriously. They squeeze the grease out of the wool and process it with chemicals, and then you eat it. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I got rid of products I didn't want anywhere near my body. I found that many multivitamins contain high amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and even lacked some of the nutrients we actually needed. So what did I do? At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. Ritual's products are made traceable, meaning we share the science and sourcing for every single ingredient. For example, our vegan vitamin D3 comes from sustainably harvested lichen in Nottingham, England, not sheep. We trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. See for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. So talk to me, Pete. There's another sort of lurking deal out there. It doesn't come from a trade request, but it comes from a trade-happy, newly installed general manager who loves to make deals. And so what are you thinking about one guy in Utah? Yeah, good old Danny Ainge. He's uh, burning it all down, liquidating everything for as much as he can. And I think that, uh, you know, the go bear, bear trade, the, the perhaps the best moment, not even perhaps, the best moment of this offseason was Winhorst. What is happening in Utah, right? Yes. Uh, that is, I really, I think the 
he was right on. Not only was he entertaining, but in terms of the substance of this offseason, I think everything's kind of revolving around them. First with the Gobert deal and then with the Donovan Mitchell uh, deal. There's some rumblings yesterday that they're getting closer to a deal with New York, which I think is interesting in a summer where they sign Brunson. I'd love your thoughts on, on that in a moment. Um, but I think that is the deal. It's much likelier because unlike Brooklyn, if you put yourself in Utah's position, they're fine with winning 15 games next year. You've got some star talent at the top of next year's draft. um, And that's not a situation Brooklyn's in. Houston has Brooklyn's future picks. So this is another thing that's kind of complicating a a Brooklyn deal on top of that is that there's no like, oh, let's trade KD and, and trade like everything that we've got to cash in and get picks because their own picks, the ones that you actually control, because you don't control other teams' picks. We were talking about this with Miami the other day, right? And owning a Miami pick. Uh, Brooklyn doesn't have the incentive to to tank. And so I that's one of the other reasons I, I, I'd just be very surprised if something happens anytime soon. But with the Mitchell situation, I do think that, that there are a few teams around the league, both Indiana and San Antonio, have like $30 million in cap space right now that I think they're waiting to kind of facilitate some things. But I think all of it kind of hinges on a Mitchell move. So, yeah, man, give me your thoughts on that and just the Mitchell to the Knicks possibility in the first place. So, first of all, let's talk about Donovan Mitchell for a second and let's do it 30 second summary how high do you regard donovan mitchell within the pecking order of the league right and so there was at one point in time i thought mitchell was viewed basically on the same level as devin booker right like they were similar prospects and recently when i listen to more national pods Mitchell has fallen in regards to Booker, right? Booker's made a run to the finals. He was, I think, fifth in MVP voting this past season. And people are looking at Mitchell more almost like a CJ McCollum type, right? Yeah, that, that's not accurate either. Right. And, and, and so talk to me a little bit about wh- where do you regard Mitchell as a player? Because the haul that Danny Ainge is trying to get for Mitchell is similar to what you would expect to get for a Kevin Durant. But he's not Kevin Durant. And so where do you place Mitchell in the context of the league? So I think the thing that he has going for him is he's shown himself to be a pretty high level playoff scorer. Yeah. Um, and something that's something that's sustainable. And he's the the ability to to hit pull up jumpers and then the ability to get all the way to the rim. He's been a guy that's been a 30 plus point per game guy in the playoffs. And that's really hard to do, right? When the defenses turn up. Now he hasn't played in the finals. So they haven't gotten beyond the second round of the playoffs. So maybe that changes as it does oftentimes for small guards. But I think that the place where a guy like Booker has pulled away from him and and I would give the caveat that Booker's never had the complete on-ball responsibilities at a high level that Mitchell has had because of Chris Paul. Now, he hasn't had the opportunity, so but just saying that Mitchell being the guy counts for something for me. But Booker's also shown the ability to like not be terrible on defense. Yeah. As much as we like to clown on Rudy Gobert and get our jokes off and all of that, there's a great deal of validity in the pro-Gobert side of like, look, like, people around him can't stay in front of everyone and you can't ask our brim protector to fix everything, you know, and, and Mitchell has shown a certain degree of inattention and just 
apathy for the defensive end that Booker had at one point in his career too. But I've also seen him like use his physicality. He's bigger than Mitchell, right? Is, and like, he's, just don't be terrible on defense and be yourself on offense. And so that's why I kind of like, that's kind of, I, that's kind of one of the reasons like I have, I have him a notch below then, but the ability for a guard to score at a high level in the playoffs, man, really, really important. So I don't know the top, whatever, where I'd put him, but he is a guy, he is in that probably third tier of stars. You've got your superstars, your guys who are knocking on the door, and then the ones who are that, and he's right near the the upper tier of that because the ability to be a go-to guy in the playoffs matters a lot to me. Would you have him like around Bradley Beal's level, a little bit lower than Beal? I've never seen Beal do it in a playoff series. And I think Beal's, like Mitchell's ability to just kick the crap out of a drop coverage or a switch against a guy that's like it, it it's I think he has more of a playoff translatable game maybe Beal makes the playoffs and and proves me wrong but as of right now I'd have him ahead of Beal yeah so to be fair to Beal in one of those last years that he played with Wall and I think they pushed the Celtics to like six or seven games a year that the Celtics made the conference finals and I think got beat by LeBron um when LeBron was with the Cavs Beal and Wall showed a penchant for being like high level playoff performers back then is the fact is though, is that Beal hasn't really been to the playoffs really since then. And so that memory fades as we get further and further along in his career and he hasn't had any playoff opportunities. Right. Anyways, in bringing it back to a Mitchell trade, then it's like if Ainge gets the haul that he wants and Ainge is proven, like he'll trade anyone if he gets what he wants back. Then Mm -hmm. the idea of Utah then being in full fire sale mode and then the prospects of there being other teams out there like the Spurs and like the Pacers who then have cap space to help shuffle around some things and maybe take on some money. And this goes even all the way through the trade deadline of February of 2023, right? And so let's not just act like this is a thing only for the offseason. Then that, to me, could be the springboard for other things to start to happen around the league. Now, really quickly, because I want to hold that point because we'll hit it more when we come back on the other side. But the Knicks are super interesting to me right now, what they're trying to do um if both Mitchell and Brunson commit to playing defense at an average level I think I'm higher on that sort of team than other people are like small guards yada 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 I get it right I'm not saying they're going to win the Mm -hmm. championship I'm not even saying they're going to reach the conference finals or anything like that but how often do we talk about like second side actions or two side actions or shot creators from different sides of the floor and all of this other stuff like who wouldn't love to have like the ability to play one of those guys for all 48 minutes right so for every minute of the game potentially as long as no one's hurt you're going to have either Brunson or Mitchell running your offense And if they could even hold on to like Julius Randle and or R.J. Barrett, then it's just like, oh, well, like y'all got some interesting players. They're going to have what's his name? Uh, The lob catcher. um, Uh, Mitchell Robinson. Yeah, Mitchell Robinson. Too many Mitchells 
we're talking too many Mitchells uh, here. So Mitchell Robinson. They signed uh they signed Hartenstein. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and so they're they'd be an interesting team to me. Now, could they defend? I'm not sure. Tibbs has been like a small guard whisperer, though, almost his entire career. Like when you think of some of the guys that he's had success with, whether it's high level stuff like Derrick Rose or even like lower level dudes where it's like, how are you getting through to some of these guys to basically compete on defense and just play hard? And he's done that throughout his career as as a head coach. So I wouldn't be so quick to just dismiss the Knicks as like, oh, well, they'll maybe make make the play in. Maybe maybe they're that bad. They could also be a team that's just like, hey, look what Chicago did this past season where they're actually just competing at a higher level night to night to night, playing hard. They're tricky to stop defensively because of all of their offensive weapons. And I'd be intrigued by that, not as some high level, like deep playoff run team, but just as like a night to night league pass team. And Donovan Mitchell does bring in electricity that I think would be great in Madison Square Garden. And so there's stuff like that. I feel like you just have to account for that as part of the formula there yeah mitchell in new york would be great just as an nba fan like yeah that that is that would be a ton of fun but i think they've got a lot of questions that i have for you as someone who's maybe a little more bullish on them than i am so let's take a break come back talk about that where does your old friend julius randall fit into this Mix Because the reason I ask is Julius is a bit unusual in that he's a big man who's not really a pick and roll player as the role man. He'll do it sometimes, but he's certainly not a lob threat. That's not something that he does on a regular basis. And he has a lot of on-ball touches. That's part of what's kind of unique about him is that he's his size, but he is a guy that you give the ball to. And most guys, his size aren't the guys that you give the ball to at the NBA level. But I would argue that now they got four guys in that projected starting lineup between Brunson, Mitchell, Barrett, and Julius that need touches and that maybe especially – and that maybe their best attributes are all on the ball. That's kind of how I see each player of of those four is like the best version of them has the ball in their hands. So to me, like Julius is a guy where it's like, what happens with him? Because he signed a big extension. Yep. He's, you know, got 25, 27 million a year, four years left on his deal. I think some teams would consider him an underwater contract. And in a league where they're it's there are so many penalties for going too far into the luxury tax that that may be something that the Knicks are now motivated to move him for more of a rugged three and D type of guy. I'm curious your thoughts on that, because I see a lot of guys that need touches and maybe not a lot of guys that that off operate off of the ball a ton or or play defense. But I agree they've got interesting pieces, but I have questions. No, the Randall thing is a good question. And Randall had one really great year. He was all NBA, I think, third team. Um, He made the all-star game and flashed what I think was like approximating what his ceiling would be as a player, right? Hitting a lot of pull-up shots, um, really showed the ability to knock down the three-point ball and was still getting to the rim and scoring on post-ups and was a menace in transition and, and, and all of that. I think that you're right in that the Knicks would probably be better off with a better fitting player, even like Obi Toppin, who is like less of a usage guy, but more like an in-between slashing, like playing above the rim, catching lobs sort of dude. So I don't have a good answer about Randall. I think that he'd be a complimentary piece 
the question I would have is both Mitchell and Brunson have shown that they could also be off ball players as well, right? They can be movement shooters. They could be spot up guys. And so can could Randall find the right balance in his game as being a shot creator for others as well, running inverted pick and rolls potentially and driving yeah. and kicking handoffs and handoffs and, and being mm-hmm. that sort of guy potentially, but then his usage is potentially going to go from like in the low thirties, high twenties to like the low twenties maybe. And is that what's best for him? Like, I don't know. Long-term he's not a number one option on a really good team anyway. And so could you, could he start to transition into that part of his career probably a year or two earlier than what he might like, right? In order to try to play winning basketball, maybe. I'm not sure, right? It all depends on who gets through to him and how he views himself. But those are unanswerable questions to like an outsider like me. Yeah, and that's what's going to, I think, determine whether or not it's that's successful. Because I do think like, the potential of two-man game between Julius and Mitchell, there's a ton of that, especially if Julius starts out with the ball because uh, Mitchell's so good at, at shooting off of jump stops and sidesteps and where – and that can be you know a handoff to, to Mitchell one play and then the next play they jump out at Mitchell and then that's a fake handoff and you got Julius coming down the, the railroad tracks and you know getting to the basket. And so that, that could be quite potent. I guess my question is, is that while those other guys can be strong off of the ball, they do have ability off of the ball, their best attributes are on the ball that's and right. you don't want them off the ball all, all the time, right? And so Julius had shown some ability to hit spot up threes. To me, it's I'm curious how his pick and roll game develops that's not something that for his size that is something guys his size normally do and that is something that really complements a Brunson or Mitchell is that role man who can get to the basket and all of that so but I do think a lot of it has to do with mentality right like is this something that he wants to do and I just don't know if 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 that's going to be something that he does you know yeah so this is where I want to bring it back to the Lakers a little bit because they are this isn't based off any inside information or anything. There's been some reporting recently that they've re-engaged other teams on like potential trade options. The Lakers are still in full-on off-season mode, even though, as we mentioned a couple of days ago, the league is transitioning to sort of their vacation period, right? August is normally a dead month for a lot of deals or things like that to, to happen. But the Lakers still need to be under the mindset that they're building next year's roster. Mm-hmm. And so I see them as lurking here as a team that's trying to figure out what can we accomplish in the wake of potentially some one of these bigger deals, right? Can we slide Mm -hmm. in to a potential Mitchell deal and not get the best player? That's Mitchell. Maybe not even get the second best player, which may be like one of those prized young guys from the Knicks who has real upside potential. But be like, hey, Utah, you seem to be in fire sale mode. What about player X or player Y or player Z? These are role player types. But guess what we need as the Los Angeles Lakers? Mm -hmm. We need high level role players, potentially, especially if they're really doing a critical self analysis. In the trade for Westbrook, they gave up role players in order to try to get the star. Now, there's still an avenue where the Lakers are going to chase a star. We've talked about this a few Mm -hmm. pods ago that we probably think that's their ideal scenario. 
It's in their DNA. It's what this sort of front office has targeted since the day that they came on board. How can we get more and more stars? But in the absence of the ability to get a star, and maybe this is just an in-between move, a middle move, right? That right. like, okay, well, let's build the strongest team that we can and then reevaluate in February or potentially have guys on the books who are available for sign and trade next off season. And so that's where I see the Lakers here looking at the landscape of the league and trying to figure out, can we be someone who latches on and be like, Hey, like let's make this a symbiotic sort sort of thing where something that works for all of you guys. Hey, Hey, I want to be in the mix with this. Like, how about me? Can can we figure something out here? Am I reading that wrong? Because it feels like the Lakers no. are going to need some help in trying to accomplish their goals. No, I think you're absolutely on the right track. And that's kind of the premise of the pod is that I think that a Mitchell move or just resolution, whether he stays or, or goes, um, I think that that is – I think we're one of the teams that would be in the conversation. And I think that's one of several teams, right? It might – maybe Mitchell gets moved and – we do something that has nothing to do to do with that. But I do think that everyone's got their plan A, plan B, plan C. And in a lot of these instances, I think that a lot of each other's like plan A is someone else's plan B and it's someone else's plan C. And so just but and and, and then along with the fact that in a lot of these deals, the ability to move salary to fit kind of the trade rules and whatnot, having a third team come in to help facilitate that, of which I think Utah, Indiana, and San Antonio in particular all have like, hey, yeah, we'll take on some salary if you make it worth it for us, yes. right? And give us a, you know, give us a pick or two or, or what have you. Um, but that has value in our situation. And I think that all of this is tied together, right? Between the ability to facilitate moves, um, the, some some luxury tax concerns, not just from, I, I don't mean from the Lakers, but just like if they sign Brunson and they're bringing in Donovan Mitchell, is Julius Randle on the trade block? You know, th- there's all sorts of questions to be answered just if you look at their cap sheet. And so, um all, all of this, though, I think ties together, D, and I think that that's the whole premise of this is that 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 domino, that first domino, that big move needs to fall. They need to agree to terms on something along those lines, and then the other pieces either get filled in or that opens up other teams where it's like, oh, well, we were hoping to be in on Mitchell or an element of this deal, but we didn't win out on that. Now we go to our plan B, and I think that gets just gets things moving around the league. Yeah, I think that that's the hope, right? is that from the Lakers perspective, another league-wide sort of trade, right? Something that sort of shakes up the league or or reconfigures um, teams' title chances around the league or what they hope are their title chances. Um, that that then allows them the in or the opening to have more broad conversations that actually lead to action, right? Because Mm -hmm. from my perspective, it's clear the Lakers have made up their minds as to what they want to happen. Now they can spin it in any other way. The head coach can go on as many podcasts and do as many interviews as, as he wants, where he's talking about the things that he's highlighting, which I think is smart. For him to continue to hammer the same, the same messaging around um, sacrifice and roles and player expectations and 
and desires for the current players who are on the team to be the players who are on the team when he starts leading training camp in a month and a half, right? There's no other way the head coach should operate than that. Because once the head coach starts to drift into the ideas of what ifs, then like there is no going back. I'd argue there's no going back now. Like there've been, (laughs) there's been too much stuff out there. Yeah. For my taste to say like, oh, well, um, this can be on the mend, right? These aren't young players. Like DeAndre Ayton was talking about how, oh, well, like I'm, I'm back with the Suns and I'm ready to go compete for a championship with my brothers. Like that's all fine to say when you're 23, right? And this is your first big contract. And it's just like, okay, we'll sweep it under the rug for a while. Maybe he'll feel different when he's 26 or 27. But right now, like he's got his money. Well, and he has played there, right? Like he does have a history. That's right. With, you know, he's been there for years. That does count for something. That's right. But when you're 34 or 33 or whatever, right? And this is sort of the, you're transitioning to potentially a new part of your career and how do you feel about that transition and all of this other baggage that comes then the idea of like, well, y'all been trying to trade me and it didn't work. And now I got to come, come back. That's a different, that's a different thing. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think the Lakers are hopeful that something is going to materialize for them where they have the opportunity to improve their team. And that's the language that the the decision makers within the organization have been using. Like Jeannie Buss said, point blank, the front office is going to continue to explore opportunities to improve the team. And I'm sorry, like that's coded language, but like these aren't hard codes to break. This isn't World War no, II. And, well, and they've said they're yeah, they've said like we're not done. It's they've gone on record and said like we're we're still making moves. So yeah, it's it's all out there. So that's kind of where I am, man, is that as we look at the landscape of the league, I actually think the Lakers need something to happen. Like there needs to mm-hmm. be some decisions out there that show like things are falling in into place where more teams have decided this is what we are and this is what we are because we have actively said and made the moves or declined the moves that would establish their own rosters for next season because the mm-hmm. Lakers understand that they are not done but as long as other teams are questioning whether or not they themselves are done or not it's hard for them to navigate that right or it's more difficult yeah, it's, to make a deal you're dependent right you can't you don't you aren't in the driver's seat you aren't the one that's determining like this is going to happen now right it's so we're waiting for other things to happen that's my read of the situation at the very least so all right this is fun uh we'll be back uh next week hopefully we get some some moves around the league in the next week or so um but until then you've been listening to laker film room podcast We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by McLaughlin. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with his eighth block. Shot that ties an NBA Finals.
Tucker. A lot of Laker fans okay, stick so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddy pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Bryant, unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.